What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to the Window Canada Sports Betting Podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, we get into the wilderness thanks to Kevin Cash, why he lost the Raise the Game Tuesday in a fashion that was uncharacteristic based on what we've been told about the Rays in general. Game one of the World Series sparks a bigger spiel about analytics and sports and where I think they're valuable from a predictive standpoint and as a summative tool for our own purposes. Finally, do we keep rolling with the Rays in game two and for the series? It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. A relatively short show today, and I say relative because, you know, we've sort of become accustomed to hour-long shows, and that's never that's never really been what this was supposed to be. This was supposed to be a daily, about a half-hour-long podcast talking about sports from the night before, talking about sports going into that day. Uh, but of course, we've had about a billion different sports that we've had to get to. I've talked about this pretty frequently, and then it ends up being about once a week I put out sort of an abbreviated show that is the way it's supposed to be overall. And so even going into this show, I was sort of like, okay, what are we going to talk about going into this show? And I don't mean like this morning or even last night, because after last night, I certainly know what we're going to talk about, but really just when you kind of schedule it ahead, you go, okay, one baseball game, nothing else, we kind of do our football stuff Monday, Tuesday, Friday, you know, college football stuff Thursday, Thursday night football stuff Thursday, like Wednesday's kind of that like blank space uh, in the schedule. So if you're looking for football stuff here, I'm going to give it to you right now. Hey, remember that show that we did last week where we talked about the futures in rushing yards, receiving yards, and passing yards? Uh, Derrick Henry, now the odds-on favorite at minus, I think, 110, 120, something along those lines uh, to win the rushing title after his monster game. So we timed that one pretty much perfectly. Uh, Did, however, basically, basically put the pin in Miles Sanders' knee and knocked him out for a couple of games. But we'll trade that for what seems to be, is if he can stay healthy, a pretty clear cut I'm not going to say the W word. Let's just say like it looks really good from a Derrick Henry standpoint when he does stuff like that last week. Uh, Passing yards. Calvin Ridley moving up, moving on up. Uh, Atlanta offense obviously looking pretty good. Um, Hopefully they don't try to trade Matt Ryan from that bet standpoint. Uh, And then the Aaron Rodgers thing, right? We've talked about it. Like could be a tough game this week. You could wait. You could maybe, you know, bet it now. Hope they have a shootout with Tampa Bay. You know, they... Sort of a one-way train on that one, um, but moreover, maybe give it a week and see what happens. He moves from nine to one to sixteen to one. That's still a play I'd be looking to make. There, done. That's the NFL talk. If you're just here for NFL stuff, thank you for the two minutes. Um, but we got to talk about baseball. But we're going to talk about stuff from sort of a bigger picture element as well. Because listen, not everybody loves baseball. I don't even really love baseball anymore, but we had the World Series going on, and there was some stuff that we need to talk about from last night's game. Primarily, and listen, I didn't know that this week was going to sort of turn into analytics discussion week, you know, defending week, if you want to go that way, or sort of point out what's analytics and what's not type of a week. And so 
you know, I just want to talk about that for a little bit, sort of framing what happened last night in the baseball game. So, you know, if you're new to the show, uh, you know, unfortunately you missed out on the NBA uh, and to a far greater extent, the NHL. And so I think if you started listening back in August, you'd say, oh man, like he really is into the analytics and he's very much a numbers guy and all of that kind of stuff. Well, you know, it depends. Like for me, it depends on the sport. For football, you know, oh, we're talking football again. Come back, come on back in. Come on back in. We're talking some football. Um, from a, from fo- football, especially the NFL, you know, it's, you know, a lot of people call it sort of the most efficient market in the world, right? Like there's no sort of outside shady influences the way there is with the actual stock market. And there's, you know, what's, the results on the field are what the results are in the field are, and we all can kind of see that, and we can also put our money to that opinion. And so the numbers that get formed are the most efficient, you know, in any kind of market anywhere, essentially, right? And so when you're working with that, you know, as much as there's sort of efficiency there, it's also the most popular, certainly from a sports standpoint. And so money's coming in on this team or that team we talk about on a weekly basis, right? So the value, you know, to analytics is there, but like on a week to week basis, the games are so, um, you know, bipolar in a lot of ways that, you know, we talk all the time, get the best price, you know, figure the team that you like, figure the team that has the most value and then get the best price you possibly can. And then quite frankly, close, you know, cross your fingers when the game starts, that when the music stops, everything kind of stops, right? We sort of look back from an analytics standpoint and go, okay, what really happened in that football game? Did they turn the ball over four times? Were they getting dominated on a yard per play basis, but they got lucky with one big play? Or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. We do, you know, because analytics are, there's predictive analytics, and then there's what I call summative analytics, right? That summarize what really happened on the in the game to give you an idea of, oh, does this team suck or does this team not suck? They just got unlucky or they lost the two or three high leverage plays, you know, of the game. And I always refer back to the Ravens Titans playoff game last year that on the surface looked like the Ravens got blown out by the Titans, but it was really two or three high leverage plays early in the game, right? Like drop passes, fourth and ones that weren't converted uh, that normally do get converted, uh, you know, more frequently on average. And so, you know, when you lose those high leverage plays, the game script can kind of get all out of whack, right? And I think we saw that a little bit on Monday Night Football with the Dallas-Arizona game where it's like the high leverage plays, you kind of never know when they're going to come. Sometimes they're pretty clear, right? The fourth downs, that kind of thing. And then sometimes it's Ezekiel Elliott fumbling the ball twice in two consecutive drives and the other team converting to turn a 0-0 game where neither team can move the ball into a 14-0 game, which of course changes the game script the rest of the way where Arizona can let loose and blitz a lot more. So looks like we're talking more football than maybe I thought we were going to. But the point is, is if you came and you've been listening to the show since August, you'd be like, wow, like he's really deep into the math for hockey. And for hockey, yes, because, you know, I need to rely on something when it comes to hockey. And if you just go and you bet hockey based on, you know, who you think is better, like that's not going to work because that's what the number's for, right? Like that's what the price is for. Everybody knows who is theoretically better, right? But by how much are they better? Are they, you know, is that reflected in the market? All of that kind of stuff. And so 
when we look to analytics, we need to kind of figure out by how much one team is better than the other. And there's no changing of starting pitchers on a day-to-day basis to affect that, right? Like the same team, especially in this last, you know, bubble situation, neutral ice. So we didn't even have to factor in home ice advantage. It was literally like pick who's the better team at the start of the series and not randomly using sort of predictive analytics, you know, pick that team and roll with that team until they cease to become valuable. So that's why a lot of the times later in the series, we would have to kind of stay off of a team that maybe we had used early on in that series because they ceased to become valuable because the market figured out, oh, wait, like Dallas is actually like a pretty good team and they could beat Colorado. So we got to adjust that number, right? In some cases, the number just never got adjusted, right? With like a Vancouver and Vegas, where Vegas was just minus 230 every single game, right? All of that is to say that like I rely on that because the game itself is so sort of vulnerable to variance, right? You don't know who's going to get the puck that's shot wide on its way wide. It hits a shin pad and it goes in the net, right? Like that could easily happen for either team. We can only base it on who's who we think is going to have the most expected goals, right? The most, you know, high danger chances, all of that kind of stuff. So we can only go in going, all right, we think this team is going to have more chances it's kind of up to them to convert them at this point, right? So that's a very predictive type of a thing. Football, we're just trying to get value from a market standpoint. Yes, we're obviously looking at matchups and that kind of thing to decide which side that we're on, but a lot of it comes down to where the market is pushing a number and indicators like that, right? For basketball, it's by far the trickiest, right? Because let's just be honest, in the NBA, in an era where it's first one to 120, right, you need, all you really need to be doing is shooting the ball well, right? Like to accumulate 120 points, you need to shoot the ball well from three. And if you don't, you're not going to get to 120 points. And if the other team does, they're going to get to 120 points. If you shoot well, you're going to get to 120 points. And the better you shoot, the better off you're going to be. So we can sit here and talk about matchups, right? Like who's going to guard Bam Adebayo? Who's going to guard, you know, Anthony Davis, right? Like who's going to guard LeBron? And the answer to all of those questions is usually nobody, right? Like not really anybody in an efficient way because the whole league is just let's find guys open for threes. And then it's just a matter like did you hit them, did you not, right? When the Lakers hit them, they beat the Heat by a billion, Right. And when they didn't, it was a close game. And then now we got into narrative stuff, you know, last minute of the fourth quarter, last five minutes of the fourth quarter where it's, you know, Jimmy Butler's taken over and, you know, they're getting key threes from Hero or, you know, Duncan Robinson or whomever. Right. And, you know, so it's tricky to decide like who, you know, on any given day, like who's going to make these three pointers. Right. Uh, College basketball, a little bit lesser. Right. Because it isn't a race to 120 it's you know you can win a game scoring 55 points right less possessions uh less offensive efficiency you know the shooters aren't nearly as good so stuff that happens in the paint matters a little bit more right like rebounding becomes more of an issue in college basketball because possessions are that much more valuable based on the shot clock and again just general offensive inefficiency so you know for college basketball which you know we're sort of fast-ish approaching here at the end of November, you know, a lot of it's sort of like trying to predict the behavior of kids, right? And trying to find flat spots. And in general, 
you know, who's overrated, who's underrated, and kind of betting on these teams before the rest of the market figures it out, because there's so many teams that play, right? Like there's 300 plus teams. So if you can find six, seven, eight teams that are, you know, underrated, it takes a lot longer for the market to figure that out because it's not like the NFL where it's like, it takes one week for people to catch on that, you know, this team or that team is underrated, right? So San Francisco last week might've been underrated as strange as that sounds, going into that week. They are on national television. Everybody watches them. We go into the next week, and now they might be overrated. And it's kind of like that for every game because there's a mic- you know certain degrees of microscope, right? Different levels, like flip the little, <laughs> flip the glass. And it's like, okay, yeah, and we're really microscopic here when we're talking about Sunday Night Football. We're less microscopic when we're talking about Detroit and Jacksonville, for example, right? And so, you know, that's where we sort of succeed with college basketball, right? Sort of fading some of the branding, fading different situational spots, all of that kind of stuff. So all of that is to bring us back around here finally to baseball. And baseball from an analytics standpoint has was at the forefront in a lot of ways, right? Like the first time you ever heard of analytics was probably, right, sabermetrics, you know, baseball's, you know, version of, um, you know, kind of taking the shortcut, right? And obviously the branding for baseball analytics is massive. Ever heard of a phrase called Moneyball, right? Like it's the only one where there was an actual movie based on the concept of analyzing, you know, what we're doing, right? Like, are we doing this correctly from a baseball standpoint? So Moneyball comes out and it's and it's primarily evaluating players specifically, right? So on-base percentage, all of that kind of stuff and slotting players in, in different areas that are going to matter in a baseball game. So along the way, we sort of figured out a bunch of the stuff that we held important, right? The back of the baseball card statistics, didn't really indicate what a guy was doing to help you win games, right? So then we eventually got to like war, you know, wins above replacement and all of these things that were scary for a lot of people. Like, I still don't know how you calculate war. I'm just kind of taking it for granted that that's a thing, right? And then so we get go along, we get further into it with field, fielding independent pitching and all of that kind of stuff. And then we eventually realize that the game isn't what we thought it was. You know, I grew up in an era in an era where it's like fastest guy hits first, right? Uh weak hitting contact hitter hits second because he's going to move the, you know, fast guy from first over to second base if he doesn't steal, right? Because all that leadoff hitter has to has have 65 stolen bases this season, otherwise he's not doing his job. So, in theory, right, he gets a walk or a slap hit, he beats out a ground ball, he's on first base. And the next guy up takes a pitch so he can steal second and then he's going to bunt or he's going to hit behind the runner right to the right side of the infield move him over to third and then now we let our third place hitter drive that guy in either via hit or a sacrifice fly and boom we got a run awesome right like in games that are four to three games that's really valuable right and then you know as we go along here this whole Moneyball era comes up and it's like well no not really like we're just trying to find value wherever we can because we don't have the money to do it. And I don't have to sort of re-explain all of that, but it sort of gave value to defense. It gave value to guys who drew walks. We realized that drawing a walk is just as good as, you know, dropping down a bunt 
for a base hit. Like when was the last time you saw somebody try a bunt for a base hit that didn't involve a shift? Oh, by the way, shifts, right? That's a thing that stemmed from analytics. So you can sort of whine about analytics all you want, but then when your team goes into a shift and somebody hits it directly into that person, um, you know, you're going to be pretty psyched that you went to a shift, right? At least you know that your team is analyzing things, right? That they are scouting, that they know this guy is shiftable, this guy is not shiftable. Like how many, even just in this playoffs, how many times have you seen a ball hit hard off the bat in, at that camera angle and you go, that's going to be a base hit. And then the camera, you know, the camera switches to the wide you know, diamond shot, if you will, and it's hit directly at a second baseman that is standing, you know, a foot from second base. Like he's way, you know, moved over to one side. It's like, it's not an accident that that guy's standing there, right? So analytics is more than just like on base and like crank out the computer and like blah, 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 right? Like, yes, we use computers because that's the most efficient way to do it. Because if you walked into an analytics department and the guy was using like an easel and a pen and like a compass, you'd be like, this guy's probably not great at this. So he probably has an ugly girlfriend. So, you know, like, you know, now we're getting into sort of K rates and launch angle and exit velocity because we've moved on from, you know, picking players, right? Finding diamonds in the rough, right? Uh, Scott Hatterberg, if you will. Um, and now we're into how to win games from like a lineup analysis standpoint. So gone is the stolen base guy at the top of the lineup. Gone is the weak hitting second hitter, right? Now it's like, you know, we don't care about <laughs> we don't care about steals anymore. We would like our best hitter to hit the most often in the course of a game. And because we're required to send nine guys out there in order, Let's put that guy at the top of the lineup so that he is the first guy to come up in the next. And that's not news in any way, shape, or form. We've been doing that for a few years now, right? And so, you know, the leadoff hitter is no longer stealing bases. He's no longer bunting. And then, you know, lo and behold, analytics taught us, you know what's really actually valuable? Hitting home runs. Because hits can come at various points in time, right? And I live, you know, here in Toronto. And, you know, I'm by no means a Toronto sports fan. But, you know, as an example, anybody who sort of followed baseball would sort of know the name Vernon Wells, right? And he was a center fielder for the Blue Jays and was allegedly their best player for about a decade, right? Obviously, it wasn't a very successful decade because he was a guy who was sort of known for hitting home runs in inopportune times, right? Like the solo home run to start, you know, in the first inning is one thing. That's okay, uh, you know, but he was more like, hey, it's 6-3. How about I hit a three-run shot to make it 9-3? And we'll win 9-4. to four. And it's like, okay, that was nice for you. And it was convenient that there were two guys on base when that happened. But you also hit it off of like the fourth relief pitcher because the game was already 6-3 to three in the eighth inning. And so I'm sure anybody who's followed baseball or followed a team goes, yeah, we totally have a guy like that. Or we did back in 2003. That guy drove me nuts. And he'd always end up at the end of the year with 30 home runs, 100 RBIs, 100 runs. And you're just like, I don't remember one significant moment that that guy had in the, in the entire season. But he was kind of the guy who needed to hit the home runs because we had built our lineup in all of these other kind of ways. Well, we figured out now that home runs are the only thing that you can rely on to be beneficial, right? Like a double doesn't necessarily get you anywhere. A single doesn't necessarily get you anywhere because you need a couple more of those to come through. And you know when a single becomes really valuable, you know when a walk becomes really valuable is when it comes right before a guy hitting a home run, 
right? Because when you're sort of half watching a baseball game and a guy hits a home run, like immediately you look to see how many guys were on base. Because if it was a solo home run, you're like, okay. But if there is a guy on base, now we're talking, right? And so all of that brings us around to Tampa Bay and the Dodgers here, right? And so Tampa Bay goes in and they're like, yeah, you know what? Home runs are pretty important. We're going to do our best, do the best we can to have guys who can hit home runs in every part of our batting order. And of course, you know, the ninth hitter, you know, Mike Zanino, he's you know, a home run hitter can't hit his way out of a paper bag the rest of the time. But when he gets a hold of one, like it's gone. And so it's like, we can use him as a catcher. He's like a pretty good defensive catcher and, you know, throws in a home run every once in a while. That's all we really need him to do. Cause that's what we're going to do. And so Tampa Bay goes and they beat the Yankees and they beat the Astros and it goes the distance in both series. And over 12 games, they hit, basically 200 from a batting stamp batting average standpoint which is kind of this like incredible stat but and it kind of gets glossed over but it's like yeah they make up for it because they're making plays in the field and they're hitting enough home runs per game that they're supporting their pitchers who are outstanding and so that's how they've built this lineup right and it is sort of less of a money ball approach it's sort of the new money ball where it right where we're like okay we'll take the walks if you're not going to throw us strikes if you are going to throw us strikes, we're going to swing as hard as we can. We're going to try to hit home runs. And if we don't, we're going to strike out. And that's fine, too, because at least we're not, you know, you, you're not grounding into double plays where obviously like two for one, right? Like we're, we're using one batter to get two outs when there's only 27 in the game, right? So and that's why we're not bunting. We're never going to bunt because we're giving up the 27 outs. The things that we hold dearest, right, is sort of avoiding get, getting out, without being productive or at least sort of being risky for the other team, right? Like at the risk of making them pay, if we're productive, it's going to be, we're going to be really, really productive because this ball is going to go over the fence, right? So all of that is to say that like we built sort of a knowledge of uh, a lineup and how we should do this, right? So on the flip side, from a pitching standpoint, and this is where we're getting finally to the point here. Um, and believe me, there's not that much left in the podcast, but we get to a point where we go, okay, so how do we counteract the fact that these guys are, you know, putting the top guys at the top of their lineup, and we ana we analyze how our starting pitchers do, right? And there's a reason starting pitchers don't go seven, eight innings anymore. It's because we've analyzed it. We've looked. It's not hard. We go, okay, what's the batting average of a team the first time through their lineup? Not that great. What's the batting average of the team the next time through the lineup? Okay, it gets a little bit better. What's the batting average of a team the third time they see that same pitcher? And you can go into, well, maybe that pitcher's getting a little more tired, right? And it might not be a velocity thing, but it might be uh, a control thing where they're missing their spots because they're a little bit tired. They're still throwing 100, but it's over the middle of the plate instead of one of the corners, right? Like pitching's really hard. And so we've figured out that it kind of doesn't matter who the pitcher is we're going to have our best success the third time around. And so part of the whole strikeout, walk, home run thing is that it, they're throwing the ball three times every time, you know, at the bare minimum, they're throwing the ball three times per hitter, right? Even if everyone strikes out on the minimum, nobody ever takes a ball. Then you go, okay, from a mathematical standpoint, like at the best of times, a pitcher's throwing, what, 75% strikes? So now, even in a strikeout, he's probably throwing at least four pitches to a, to, a, to a hitter. And so if we have any success whatsoever, this guy should throw about 100 pitches 
over the course of six innings or 18 batters, right? Because we should probably be able to get five to six pitches out of a guy, right? Like we should be able to foul him off. He's going to throw a fair amount of balls here, right? So, you know, at the best case, one out of every four is going to be a ball. And if we could just have a good batter's eye, that's going to be the case. And so every team's doing this because they want to get to that third time through as quickly as possible. And if, you know, to counteract that, the start, you know, the managers go, okay, you know what? Well then, sorry, starting pitcher, no matter how well you're doing, by and large, you're out after th- uh, two times through the lineup, right? So you get 18 batters. Ideally, that's six innings if you can go perfect. Obviously, that's probably not going to be the case. And so a lot of times, that's why guys throw five solid innings. That's why quality start numbers are down, right? It used to be six full innings, three runs, and that's a quality start. Well, quality starts a lot different. It's also a lot different when you have a really, really good bullpen. And so if you have that really good bullpen, you're going to be more apt to use that bullpen. And if in the case of our friend Kevin Cash, we saw him take Charlie Morton out after whatever it was, 66 pitches, I think it was, in Game 7 against the Astros to get to that bullpen because he knew we're getting to the third time through the order against a really good lineup, right? Like we're going to have to deal with the Springers, Altuves, Bregmans, etc., a third time through. And yes, maybe you've only thrown 66 pitches, so maybe there isn't sort of the the fatigue element, but they've still seen you today. They've seen 10 pitches, 11, 12 pitches from you, each guy. And these are really good hitters, right? Because again, we've just been breeding hitters over the course of the last decade, two decades, right? Because we, we no longer need the good glove second baseman who can slap hit it. Like Mark Lemke isn't walking through that door. That's a super old school baseball reference. Uh, maybe not that super, but uh, nevertheless, right? We don't need Mark Lemke. He's no longer on the team, right? Like we need Brandon Lau. And Brandon Lau, you know, he might hit 111, but when he's going, like he'll hit a couple home runs for you and he'll play some decent defense, right? And so, you know, that's no longer the case. So it's like, okay, we got to get him out of here. And so, you know, people go like, what? You know, and they've been watching, I've been watching baseball for 30 years and we're taking guys out after 66 pitches. That's outrageous. And then, you know, the relief pitcher comes in again, maybe it goes well, maybe it doesn't. And then of course the armchair, you know, quarterbacks or the armchair managers out there are going like, yeah, um, yeah, totally had that. Like, what an idiot. Like, why would he take him out right there? Like, ah, he was rolling, you know? And that's, you know, in a way that's fair because it's like, okay, if he's rolling, he's rolling. That's a completely different story. So we speed all the way up in all of this and we get to last night's game. And Tyler Glasnow, from the get-go, even some jackass on his couch in Toronto can see that Tyler Glasnow doesn't have control of his curveball. Right, like occasionally he would throw a decent one, but he's spiking that thing from literally like the third pitch in the entire game. And of course, when you don't have control of one of your pitches, you're playing essentially with one hand tied behind your back or say one finger tied behind your back. And when that's the case, you know, you're limited. So you're not going to be the Tyler Glasnow that threw the, you know, six shutout innings against the Yankees or against the Astros or whatever, right? You're going to be a lesser version of yourself. And at which point, like you can get through a couple of, laps through a really good batting order with the Dodgers but like your manager who is paid to what's he paid to do manage the game right he needs to manage that he needs to see that with his eyes and go okay we don't have our our best version of Glasnow and he ends up working his way through things but through four or five innings you know four innings he's got five walks already now right there like that's uncharacteristic 
And so you have to recognize that, okay, that's uncharacteristic. By the way, not, is that un not only is that uncharacteristic, it's also stretching out his pitch count. So you got a guy throwing 66 pitches over the course of five innings, and like that was good enough to pull him, and I don't disagree with that move, but the point is, is two days later, you've got a guy who's thrown 100 pitches, hasn't really thrown, you know, 111 pitches he ended up throwing, but you know, he's getting up into the 90s, into the 100s, over the course of four innings, right? He's throwing 20 pitches an inning where, you know, you'd like him to be sort of in the 10 to 12 range, given the fact that he'd only given up you know, one, one home run that was unfortunately a two-run home run because what happened? A walk happened right before that home run. And the Rays come back and they get a home run of their own. So each team has a home run. Each team has succeeded in their goal of hitting home runs, or in this case, a home run through the first half of this game. And it just so happened that the Dodgers got a walk before that home run because Glasnow was wild and Clayton Kershaw wasn't particularly wild, right? And kudos to Clayton Kershaw. He ends up pitching a really great game. We expect that from Kershaw. We don't, you know, it's not a, oh, he's definitely going to stink. It's just one way or another, this thing could go awry in a close game. It just always seems to do so. And if we're getting plus 150 on a bet, like, that's fine. I'm willing to sort of take my chances there. What I wasn't expecting and what we didn't mention at any point before that game in sort of handicapping that game or even anything to do with it is that Kevin Cash would just let Tyler Glasnow essentially tread water at 100 pitches through four innings last night. And that was just frankly unacceptable and baseball managerial malpractice based on all of the stuff that we've already talked about, right? And so the Dodgers are going the third time through and guess what happens? They knock them around a little bit. It wasn't even that much, right? You like sort of ground ball, uh, infield single, you know, a couple of walks, right? And that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden it's four to one with a couple of runners on base. And now, because it's the fifth inning, you know, Kevin Cash, and I don't necessarily disagree with this, but he sort of has this attitude like, I don't chase wins. And what that means is, like, I'm not going to put my best bullpen guys out there in a game that we're down 4-1 to one in an effort to try to come back because, listen, we're playing at a deficit. There's a reason that we're underdogs in this series, right? I disagree with how much of an underdog that they should be, but... You know, the reason is because the literally two guys on the Dodgers make up the entire payroll of the Rays. So he has a relatively small margin, which is what makes this even more frustrating because he knows he has to get Glasnow out of that game after four innings, after they get, you know, within one run, right? Give it to your bullpen. They are the well-rested group. We talked about that, right? The good news is going forward. They're still really well-rested, right? All the best arms there are still really well-rested. And so, like, that's the great news going forward in this. But he sends out his sort of fifth-best guy, you know, throw out the lefty, right? Like, Dodgers struggle, you know, against lefties, and we'll kind of, you know, see, how, see what happens there. And it's like, all right, doesn't work. Next guy comes in, and now it's even worse than that, and the game sort of expands out to 8-1. to one. And, you know, it's 8-1 to one because they sort of gave up the game at that point because, again, he doesn't chase wins. And I'm totally fine with that. And the good news is because of the quote unquote beat down in game one, that might create a little value for us going forward in both a series price and a game price because people look at that and go like, oh, 
Rays, you know, Dodgers killed the Rays. Like they've got this, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, yeah, okay. I mean, they got the really the, the good start from Clayton Kershaw. Are we guaranteeing that in Game Five we get that same good start? You know, I don't necessarily know. I'll certainly be betting against it based on what the price is going to end up being, right? Like, how do we know that Glasnow is not going to be much better? Maybe a lot less nervous because it's not his first World Series game and all of that kind of stuff, right? There's a bunch of sort of intangible things. Uh, you know, who knows? Clayton Kershaw might have back spasms. Like, we don't really know what's going to go on. We'll, you know, hopefully we get to a game five. Otherwise, we're going to be in really big trouble here. So the point is, is that like Kevin Cash just completely blows that game and. Okay, so it's one game. That's not, you know, the end of the world necessarily. But it's just so basic stuff when it comes to sort of the big picture of analytics or whatever. There just wasn't anything on the computer, right? People going like, oh, computer nerds or whatever. And it's like there's nothing on the Rays computer that said, you know what? Glasnow for 100 pitches into the fifth inning is a really good idea here, right? You have to take him out there. It's a two to one game. You can't mess with the Dodgers lineup, right? Like it's a such a thin line. The Dodgers lineup will bang you in this, in this case. They will get you if you mess with them. These hitters are too good because when we decided 10, 15 years ago that all we wanted was good hitters in our lineup and we'll sort of do the best we can defensively. When we decided that no longer are we pit, you know, using pitchers to hit, we are using DHs in the National League, right? Like the writing's on the wall. Hitters are what it is. And so you can't mess with a lineup, especially one that's as good as the Dodgers. So that being said, it's one game. And, you know, it's a hard lesson to learn. I don't know why he had to learn that lesson. I don't know why that lesson was already ingra- wasn't already ingrained in him. But, you know, nothing else has really changed, right? Like we knew that at minus 175 or, and by the way, we got sick closing line value because that number came down from plus 155 to like plus 135. So we ended up getting 20 cents of line value, right? That's one of our three tenants. Um, Obviously the rest, the other two didn't work out, right? Like looking back at the box score, not great. And at any point in time in the game, would you rather be on the other side, right? Like pretty much most of the game, uh, maybe, you know, even when it was two to one, it was still like, yeah, I'm still pretty comfortable with the bet I've made here. Um, But still late in the game, you obviously, rather be on the Dodgers so one out of three there and again I blame Kevin Cash um, for you know at least one of those three tenants not being on our side that being said what do we do in game two well listen we're in on the Rays right nothing's really changed with regards to this Um, the pitching as you know pitching matchup has changed right they're going Snell uh, which is you know in theory their ace or sort of you know their opening day starter from from this season and we're not seeing Walker Bueller just yet, right? So they're saving Walker Bueller for presumably game three, where it looks like it'll probably be, I guess, a Bueller Morton matchup, but whatever, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. So in this case, right, like the Rays, I think, are dead. Well, listen, the Rays are always going to be a play here, and it's just going to be on, you know, varying degrees of what kind of price that we're going to get. So it looks like we're getting plus 120 on the raise in this one it looks like it opened higher than that but it's sort of hard to track because we might not have known the starting pitchers so maybe one sort of rogue place opened plus 140 um but that being said plus 120 is certainly good enough for me right good news remember the bullpen super fresh right the top half the top end of the bullpen super fresh uh the dodgers go with gonsolin who was very good against the braves um i'd be willing to bet that he's not going to be as good this time around uh just sort of 
on a hunch, let's say. Um, and I, you know, I think obviously the the Rays are a live dog to win this game, and I still think they're a live dog to win the series. So I'll throw another unit on plus three fifty because again, I didn't necessarily expect them. You know, it wasn't a better than 50% chance. It wasn't even really a 50% chance that the Rays were going to win that game last night, but at plus 150, the value was certainly there. So Rays plus 120 on the game line tonight, going with Snell. Um, Again, the Dodgers, you know, used to be sort of susceptible to the left-handed pitchers. Not really the case anymore, obviously, since they got Mookie Betts. If Mookie could just sort of, you know, tamper it down a little bit, that'd be nice. Um, You know, by the way, like if the Rays could hit balls maybe an extra foot or two, so, you know, home runs aren't getting, you know, brought back because between Bellinger and Betts, right, like that's a liability and give them credit, right? That just extends the size of the ballpark by a couple feet when you have those guys with the ability to sort of take them back. Um, when, uh, you know, home runs that a lot of, you know, against a lot of teams would be home runs, uh, they're certainly capable of stopping. And shout out to Mookie Betts for winning everybody tacos, I guess, right? Like he's going to get credit for stolen bases and that's great, but like that doesn't really do anything, um, to change our sort of handicaps. Like, okay, Mookie Betts stole a base. Like, uh, how do I, how do I measure that? Um, so again, throwing some more on the Rays, plus 350, kind of the best we can see there. So we've got, you know, plus 170 and a plus 350, uh, plus 120 on the game. So hopefully the Rays can even it up and we can kind of make some moves from there. Uh, maybe that, you know, we'll see where, you know, the price ends up landing for game three. Maybe that means a stay away. Maybe we end up getting something like a plus 200 because it's against Walker Bueller. You know, again, a guy that teams have beat in the last couple of weeks. So um, anyway, that's a long way to sort of get to the baseball stuff, but I think, you know, a relatively short podcast today. So it was worth kind of discussing sort of big picture analytical type stuff because it has been in the sports news this week. And when you have all these sports sort of lining up on top of each other the way that it has been, and if you've been following the podcast, as mentioned, you know, you've sort of been like, okay, like in some spots, he's really analytical and some, you know, statistically analytical. And then some parts, it's more market analysts, a- analysis and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, at the end of the day, um, just kind of a fun topic to kind of lead in to game two of the World Series tonight. That's it for this one. Subscribe, rate and review the podcast. Tell a friend, tell an enemy and follow along at Authentic on Twitter. Until next time, I'll see you at the window.